Welcome back to the program. Someone once referred to advice as sanction nagging. It's cute, but the fact is that we get advice all the time, and some of it is really valuable. But do we miss the value of that advice by our defensiveness, our pre-programmed fight-or-flight response, and simply the reflexive shutting down that happens in the face of criticism? Performance reviews, student conferences, even the old stand-by-the-report card are all part of our daily feedback loop. It's all around us. Those giving the feedback are often told that it's a skill, that there's an art and science to giving good advice. But is the opposite true? Is there also an art and skill to receiving feedback? Can we all make the process a whole lot more worthwhile by understanding how to maximize being on the receiving end? We're going to talk about that today with my guests Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen. They're the co-authors of the New York Times business bestseller, Difficult Conversations. They're principals at Triad Consulting and lecturers at Harvard Law School. It is my pleasure to welcome Doug Stone and Sheila Heen here to talk about their latest, Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. Doug, Sheila, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Great to have you here. Doug, I want to start with you. Talk a little bit about this fight-or-flight response and that from an evolutionary perspective, from a very human perspective, we have this instinctive desire to run away from criticism. Well, we have a desire to protect ourselves, right? We, we're, we're programmed to, to search for danger, and when we find danger, we need to either fight, dig in, or run away. And that serves us well in, in lots of situations, and certainly back in, in the old days when there really were things out to get us, lions and tigers and bears and so forth. Now we're in a modern workplace, and the threats are of a different nature, but we're still sort of, we're still surveying for uh, what might be out there. And feedback, interestingly, it sits right at the intersection of two very core human needs. One is we do want to learn and grow. We know we need feedback. We want to improve. We know that's how we get better. But on the other hand, we want to be accepted just the way we are now, as we are now. It's hard to navigate those two, those two needs. Sheila, to what extent is the criticism we receive, even on the schoolyard as kids, and the way we get programmed early on, when we're attacked and the way kids attack each other just in the normal course of, of growing up and trying things, to what extent does that play a role in how we deal with this later in life? Well, I think that you're exactly right. For me, working on this book, it, it has changed the way that I parent. And I think that there is nothing I can lecture my kids about that's going to teach them more about how to deal with, you know, the offhand comments, the bullying, the put-downs. Um, more than the way that they watch me deal with, you know, the offhand criticism from my mother-in-law or a setback at work. So how you handle the blizzard of feedback coming at you teaches your kids how to see themselves and also take challenge and adversity as an opportunity to grow. In some ways, that scarring, though, from childhood can really have an adverse effect in any kind of a work or even relationship situation later on. Well, we, we, uh, that's right. We, we carry those scars with us um, from childhood and throughout our lives. And one of the skills in getting better at receiving feedback is really thinking about what in this feedback that I'm getting right here, right now, today, as an adult, is about this, what this, this interaction I'm having now, and which aspect of it is kind of shadow boxing with, with past challenges that I've had, and making those distinctions. 
Talk a little bit about what we've learned over the years on the other side of this equation, on the giving feedback side, and the way that that has, in some ways, set the stage for the things you talk about. Well, the usual approach to trying to improve the quality of feedback conversations um, in an organization, for example, is to teach givers how to give. And that's helpful. Everyone is better off when givers are more skilled, when they take opportunities to coach more often. Um, you know, things like being specific, giving examples, etc. The problem is it's still a push model of learning, and what occurred to us over time is the receiver is really in charge of what they let in and what sense they make of it and whether and how they choose to change. Um, and so maybe we've actually been going at this backwards, and we should flip it, and we should all be learning how to receive more effectively, and particularly leaders in organizations. Because if you work to receive and see what's valuable in the comments and feedback you get, you are actually teaching your team how to do it and what's valued, as well as, by the way, learning a few things so that you become a better leader. Your team actually knows what you could be doing better that would be helpful to them. All you got to do is ask. Of course, part of the problem, Doug, is that we receive this information on two levels, as you talk about. One is the cognitive level, where intellectually we might understand, but there's also the emotional level as well. Yeah, so we have these emotional triggers, and what happens when we, when we get feedback that's upsetting or challenging, we have a, a physiological emotional reaction, and then that ends up actually changing the story we tell about it, the actual cognitions change. So if I get feedback that I sing off-key, to take a silly example, and, you know, and I get upset by that, then I, I can go into a cycle where I think, well, you're saying I sing off-key, maybe everyone kind of is making fun of me, and maybe I can't do anything right. And then ultimately we decide, you know, we're going to die alone in the gutter, a poor, sad life. And it's just because of one little comment, and it's the interaction of that comment with our emotional reaction that kind of snowballs it into something horrendous. Continue with that a little bit, Doug, in terms of these three triggers, that the specific triggers that you talk about in the book, the truth trigger, the relationship trigger, and the identity trigger. Yeah, so the, the starting with the identity trigger, we all have a sense of who we are in the world. And so I might, you might think you're, you're an interesting or funny person or a warm, caring, fair person. And when we get feedback, it has the potential to threaten how we see ourselves. And if I think of myself as a good uncle and then I get feedback that my nieces and nephews are mad at me or I don't see them enough, and then I start thinking, well, what does that mean about me? Does that mean I'm a bad uncle? So now one little piece of feedback about, well, gee, they want to see you more can turn into I'm a bad uncle and what does that mean about me? And once your identity is threatened, it, it, can, it can really throw you off balance. Talk a little bit about the truth trigger, Sheila. Um, so feedback often arrives, despite all of our coaching of givers, it often arrives in these very vague labels. You know, you need to be more proactive. You need to take your performance up a notch. Um, you know, you need to be more responsible. And I think we instantly think, okay, I need to decide if this feedback is right or wrong. Um, if it's wrong, I can set it aside and not worry about it anymore. And so we're really skilled at wrong spotting, finding all the ways in which, well, you don't really understand me, um, you, know, you don't know what I was up against, um, so that we can dismiss it. If it's right, then I have to keep worrying about it. 
And part of what we recommend is actually don't decide yet. You have to understand the feedback. What does the giver mean? What are they referring to? Before you can make a good decision about, you know, it might be 90% wrong, but that last 10% might be right. We had a great example, actually, from someone we were talking to last week. You know, he's a radio host, and he was told by his producer that he needed to be more edgy. And he instantly decided, okay, that's just not who I am. Like, I'm not going to be provocative or, like, use bad words, like, check my FCC list for what I'm allowed (laughs) to say. But after a few days, it occurred to him that he didn't actually know what edgy meant from the giver's point of view. So he went back and said, like, tell me more what you mean by that. And the producer said, oh, I mean, be more vulnerable. Be more emotionally open on the air. And once he understood that, he was much more intrigued. Like, okay, that actually maybe I could do, but say more about what that would look like. Um, And so often the truth triggers are the ones where we instantly auto-decide, like, yep, that was right, and I'm devastated, or nope, that's wrong, and I'm discarding it. And we're recommending actually understand it first, particularly given how many blind spots we all have about ourselves. Putting this in in the context of particular situations, Doug, do we often seek out people that give us the wrong kind of criticism for us because we're trying to work out unresolved issues from, from our past, either in terms of relationships or other business situations? Well, sure. I think primarily the, the way that mostly manifests itself is we seek out people who we think will give us some kind of positive feedback. And that's a very human tendency, right? We want to we wanna feel cared about and liked and appreciated and feel like we're good at things. We Feedback is often called holding up a mirror. Um, and what we often want is a, is a supportive mirror and somebody who is going to tell us, you know, maybe you're down now or maybe... Maybe uh, this didn't go well, but you're terrific and someone who's really going to support us. And that's natural and normal. But what we sometimes are missing is that honest mirror where we, we want to actually get better and we want to we get a sense of seeing ourselves the way someone else does, not so that we'll be upset and hurt, but just so that we get that kind of insight that we can't get about ourselves typically. And so in addition to those supportive mirrors that we seek, we also need to be uh, on the lookout for honest mirrors and actually checking in with people and saying, look, what I want right now is a supportive mirror or what I want right now is an honest mirror. There's a tendency sometimes, though, for people to, to play out past situations and they'll seek somebody that's going to give them negative feedback because they're trying to reverse a situation or to play out a situation from their past that they're looking for a different outcome. Yeah, I think sometimes... Um, you get a new piece of feedback and it's not actually a new piece of feedback or it actually is, but it trips a, a wire that sort of runs straight to your soul of a theme that you've heard all of your life or something that is really hard um, for you to live with, with yourself. Um, and so the reaction that we have um, is actually an outsized reaction to this one piece of feedback, but it's actually a very normal reaction to sort of the life story theme. One of the things that um, we recommend is actually change how you elicit feedback. In other words, don't go up to someone and say, hey, do you have any feedback for me? That's a terrible question. Um, You know, it's not clear how honest you want them to be, and it feels like they have to do a PhD on you. Instead, ask for one thing. Say, hey, what's one thing I could 
change that would make a difference to you? Or what's one thing you see me doing or failing to do where you think I'm getting in my own way? You're more likely to elicit something that is specific and concrete and a little bit less likely to get something that's so global that it really trips a bunch of sort of your own buried um, themes in your life, like change your personality. Um, So it's much more likely to be useful. So much of it, Doug, has to do with the skills that we bring to the equation in terms of listening, how we hear things, how we listen to things, regardless of the emotional overlay. Yeah, and listening is really going to be the key to the whole thing in terms of getting the information that you want. We all have, we all have this internal voice, this, these thoughts and feelings in our head that are running through our minds all the time. And as we get feedback, particularly as we get triggering feedback, that internal voice gets louder. And, we, and you know, we're thinking so the voice is saying things like, well, that feedback's not true, or how dare you say that to me, or who are you to say that to me? And as that voice gets louder, it's harder to listen because now we're literally just listening to two voices. We hear our own internal voice, and we're trying to hear what the other person is saying as well. So listening well when you're getting feedback is first and foremost a matter of, of mastering your own internal voice, your own sort of thoughts and reactions, so that you have the mind space to actually take in what someone else is saying. What do we learn from looking at the areas of sports and entertainment specifically where criticism and coaching and ongoing criticism is very much a part of the equation? What do we take away from that? Um, Well, one of the things that I think um, sports is starting to catch on to, um, maybe even more than we are in the workplace, um, is that different athletes actually need different things from their coaches. And it's the match between the coach and the athlete that often works or doesn't work. Um, and it raises the um, observation that when we say the word feedback, we actually mean three different kinds of things. And whether we're an athlete or an entertainer, you know, or uh, an accountant, um, we need different kinds of things at different times. So the first kind of feedback is actually appreciation. Appreciation says, I see you, I get you, you matter. What you do is valued around here. And when people sometimes say, I wish I got more feedback, what they mean is, I wish anybody even noticed how hard I work around here. And that is what keeps us motivated. And I think for, for entertainers and athletes and human beings, um, it's what keeps us coming to work. Um, the second kind of feedback is coaching. Coaching is actually aimed at helping you get better at something. So it's specific advice, suggestions, try it this way. The last kind, however, is evaluation. Here's how you rate. You either got buzzed off the show um, or you made it to the finals. That's a performance appraisal, right? It's a grade. In a relationship, it's, you know, where is this going? Where do we stand? Um, evaluation or that kind of judgment, rating or ranking, is the one that is most threatening. And it's so emotionally loud that it can actually drown out the other two. So sometimes people actually do need to know where they stand at times. But actually, it's coaching and appreciation that help us to get better. In that sense, it's important to define the difference between feedback and criticism. We often use them interchangeably, but there's a pretty fundamental difference, Doug. Well, feedback uh, can be seen to encompass criticism, but uh, criticism has that, that sense that it's evaluative and judgmental. And often when feedback arrives and there's that uh, judgmental edge to it, it's very hard to hear 
anything else other than that. It's hard to hear the coaching in that if if there is any coaching in that. And uh, you know, so it, coming back to sports again, if 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 someone is telling you how to do your how to swing a golf club better or differently, you could take that to mean oh, you do it badly. You're you're not a good athlete. You'll never be good at this. Or you could take it to mean well, here's some specific tips for you to actually get better. And the person the person giving you feedback might be saying exactly the same thing, but you could hear it in either manner. And so as feedback receivers, we have to work really hard to, to be aware. We don't want to dismiss the evaluation because there might be important information there, but we want to work really hard to be attuned to the coaching and always come back to the question of, so wait a minute, what is it that I can actually learn what, how can this actually help me get better? What is the difference, if there is one, either qualitatively or quantitatively, in terms of feedback that comes in a face-to-face fashion versus, for example, a performance review or something somebody might get in writing? You know, it, it's interesting because um, different people have different preferences, um, and this is one of the reasons why having the process driven by the receiver and what will help them learn is so important. So some people actually would prefer to get it in writing because they want to actually digest it and think about it and write down the questions that they have for the face-to-face meeting maybe that happens later. For other people, getting it in writing um, is like getting punched from behind. Um, They actually need the face-to-face and they want to process it and be able to ask their questions right away so that they don't stew on it overnight or over the weekend imagining all the terrible things that this could actually mean. Individuals are wired so differently in terms of sensitivity to feedback, the um, how far you swing emotionally and how long it takes you to recover. The research um, that we found shows that individuals can vary by as much as 3,000%. Hmm. Um, and so that will influence whether you would prefer to get it in writing or in person um, and because the opportunity to ask follow-up questions, et cetera, sometimes can help you recover more quickly. When we look at the way we learn and and different learning styles, talk a little bit about the the nexus between that and this kind of feedback that we're talking about, Doug. For example, we all, you know, we learn in different ways and we're kind of wired to like the idea of learning and improving at whatever we do. You used golf as as an example before. And yet when it comes to criticism, we, we tend to react differently. Talk about that. Yeah, so we all do learn differently. You know, in school, some people are auditory learners or visual learners or kinesthetic learners. With feedback, some of us need feedback to come in very slowly or piecemeal, um, or we may be working on a particular skill or issue, but not others. And there's really no way to guess. I think as feedback givers, we're too often just trying to guess. We're trying to be good managers or good family members and we're thinking, well, how, what, let me try to guess how that person might receive feedback well. And so we take a guess and sometimes we get it right and very often we get it wrong. And the better thing to do is just to ask the person to just talk about it, whether you're the feedback giver or the feedback receiver. If you're the feedback receiver and you have a preference about whether you want it in writing or not, or is there a time of the week that's better for you or their particular skills you're working on, if you make those conversations transparent, talk about not just the feedback itself, but talk about how we talk about the feedback. That can be 
an enormously useful conversation. Sheila, what about gender differences and, and also age differences? In other words, boomers take criticism, I assume, different than the way millennials take criticism, and, and men and women take it differently. You know, what's interesting is that there, I think there are stereotypes out there. We have not found that either gender uh, wins the race on who's better or worse at it, um, whichever you're hoping you are. Um, <laughs> what, when you look at the marriage research, it does show that spouse's willingness to take feedback or coaching or criticism from their spouse to be influenced by them, which often we think of less as quote-unquote feedback and more as just your spouse being annoying or critical, but your willingness to actually be open to that um, is a strong predictor for the, a, a healthy, happy, and stable marriage. And there is a little bit of a gender difference there, that it's particularly um, the husband, um, if, if he is open to criticism, then that's a, a very key predictor of a lasting marriage. And I don't think that John Gottman up in Seattle, who is the one who did this research, has had the opportunity to study same-sex couples yet, mm. right, in a long-term way, which actually would be really interesting just to test that hypothesis. How does it play out when you have the same genders giving each other feedback? I think for all of us, our ability to lower our anxiety um, and to handle those criticisms with more grace and curiosity while sticking up for yourself um, is just part of navigating life. Which really raises the issue, Sheila, of, of what the emotional connection is between the person giving and receiving criticism. It's on one emotional level, for example, in a, in a spousal relationship, and it might be in a work situation where there's a relationship between the two people involved, but if it's a boss, for example, giving criticism or giving feedback to somebody that they don't have an emotional relationship with or a really deep personal relationship with, how is it fundamentally different, if at all? Well, this, one of the three kinds of triggers that we talk about, reactions that we have to feedback, is all about the quality of the relationship. Um, all feedback is given in the context of a relationship, and we can often have a reaction to who's giving us the feedback that is even bigger than what they're saying, right? Um, how you feel about the who will paint how you see the what. Um, and those quickly get tangled together. If we feel badly treated or that they don't have credibility, we'll dismiss what they say out of hand when if it came from someone that we trusted or admired, we might take it to heart. And so part of the struggle is to try to separate the who from the what. And there may be conversations you need to have about the who, about the relationship, um, that are separate from, okay, is this coaching or advice, good advice or bad advice? Is the evaluation fair or unfair? Doug, I wanted to ask you if sure. technology has any role in this, if using technology in the feedback loop in any way plays a role. Well, uh, social media has a huge impact on all this with the comment sections, uh, you know, on, uh, online and um, people have that freedom, that anonymity, and the freedom and the remove to say whatever they want. Sometimes they're flattering things. Very often people just get nutty attacks. Um, I think with social media, you really have to ask yourself, if you're, the, if you're the target of an attack, you have to ask yourself, is this feedback or is this just somebody kind of having fun in some ridiculous way and playing a game or trying to impress themselves or impress their friends? 
And if it's feedback, then all the usual rules apply. You ask yourself what you can learn from it and which, what seems to really apply to you. Even if it's nasty, you can, if you can still learn from it, then that's a benefit to you. And if it's just sort of over-the-top nonsense, then you probably don't have to engage with it too much. In your looking at the workplace and what's going on today and the way people work today, is this becoming a more critical and more important issue? I think it is. I, I think feedback is, it, it's probably always been very important. I think it's more important now precisely because the, the, the things are changing so quickly, right? You, you, you go to college, by the time you're graduated college, whatever technical skills you learned in college are going to be outdated. So your first day on the job, you've got to be adjusting to the next thing that's coming down the pike. And the way you do that is by being someone who can learn well, and you've got to adjust to the new system at work and the change management efforts, and uh, just er everything is in flux. Everything is changing. And so the, the real prized employees are the ones that are not only, you know, smart and competent and diligent, but are also people who can learn, people who are quick studies, can take initiative, and can take the initiative to get feedback about themselves and put it into practice. Doug Stone, Sheila Heen, the book is Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. Thank you very much for spending time with us today. It's great to be here, Doug. It's been such a pleasure, Jeff. These are great questions. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.